what in heaven is happening. And last week we spoke about this in terms of understanding our current national situation in the politics, in the uh, change that's been happening in the nation, and um, looking at that from God's point of view. So we, we looked at that last week from the point of view of understanding the scriptures. And then during the week, we uh, had a workshop here yesterday to understand the times so that we get some biblical, God-centered understanding of how to look at the times we live in. And we said yesterday that uh, there's, the Bible talks about times and epochs, and epoch is a big, big period of time. In fact, there's probably only been about seven or eight epochs in the history of civilization, and right in your lifetimes, a brand new epoch has been started. So you are living in a rare, rare moment in history. You are living at the beginning of an epoch. And we're seeking to understand what change has taken place, why it's taken place, how that affects us now as those who follow the Lord Jesus, and how we live in the light of that change, and how we address ourselves to the society and the situation around us. So today, we're going to complete this little series of teaching with understanding our minds. Now, before we get into this from the Bible, I just want to sort of warm up your thinking a bit on this, because have you noticed that minds are funny things, and they work in interesting ways? And have you noticed that your mind may not work the same as somebody else's mind? Uh, this guy, he has his favorite coffee shop, and he goes in, and time after time, they spell his name wrong. So the next time he goes into his favorite coffee shop, I won't mention who it was, but I think it was Starbucks, and he, <laughs> he says to the person around the counter, my name is Mark with a C. So when he gets his coffee, he looks at the cup, and it says Kark on it. <laughs> it's amazing how the mind works, isn't it? Kark. There you go. Um, somebody else's story I came across was, was an interesting one. Um, they had an uncle who was always open to a good deal. And this salesman got a hold of their uncle and talked him into this deal. And the deal was he had to buy 10,000 biros personalized with his name on them. But if he bought them, his name would be entered into a competition for a free yacht. And he said, you know, you will win a 32-foot yacht if, if, if your name's put out the hat. So he, he went for it. And guess what? He won the yacht. He actually won the yacht. So he's waiting for the notification of this to arrive. And the man knocks at the door and gives him a little cardboard box. And when he opens it, it's a little plastic yellow model yacht with 32 feet stuck on the bottom of it. Funny how our minds work, isn't it? We expect one thing and something else turns up. I hope he enjoyed the pens. So, so today we want to look at understanding our minds, and we want to do that from the point of view of the Scripture. Now, I'm not going to try and be some kind of amateur psychologist here today and explain to you some of the stuff I got trawled through, like Freud and Jung and various other people. We're going to look at our minds from the point of view of the Bible. So let's start straight away with some Bible verses up here. Here they are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And again from Luke, Luke 10, 27 here, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, But first let's pray and then I'll, I'll ask you the question. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your spirit's moving here today. May he blow on us and may we go with him in the direction he wants to take us. Father, would you open our hearts to understand your word today? Blow on our lives. Holy Spirit, come to us. Convict us. Convince us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what do you notice about the two bottom uh, versions and the top version? The top version is from Deuteronomy 6.5 in the Old Testament, and the two bottom ones are Jesus in the Gospels. What do you notice about the two of them? Sorry, Colin, you had your hand up, so I'll take you. Okay, the two bottom ones have got mind in it, and the top one hasn't. And yet Jesus is quoting the scripture here from Deuteronomy 6.5. So can anybody explain to me what's going on? Why? Any ideas? Go on, John. It's because of the translation. This is for the tape. Yes, we've got a Bible scholar uh, par excellence in our midst. Thank you, John. What John was saying was this, that when Jesus is quoting the Old Testament scripture, he's actually reading out of a version, or he's quoting a version that was made sometime between the two of them. And in the old days, they, in the time of Alexander the Great, Israel was taken over by the Greeks and they started speaking the Greek language. And Greek influences came into Israel. So what they did was they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. It's called the Septuagint version. And because the Greeks wouldn't really understand what was implied in the Hebrew with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, they, they translated it with this extra word to make sure the people got it. Now, the people of that day were big into the power of your mind. They were big into living by the mind. They were big into what we think. And so the, the, the Hebrew scholars who translated the Septuagint wanted people that spoke Greek and came from a Greek culture and even their own people who'd been influenced by it to understand that when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, that word soul or heart or both of them included your mind. And they spell it out specifically to make sure you realize your mind is included. Now, we live in a generation that's similar or very much the same as that generation. So it's really helpful for us that Jesus spells this out, that heart and soul and strength includes our mind. We have to love God with our mind. Now, we're used to loving him with our hearts, maybe. But this idea of loving with our mind may be a bit of a different one or an interesting one for us. Jesus actually confirms this when he's speaking again to John, the apostle, some years later in the revelation that John had on the island of Patmos. And this is how Jesus describes uh, himself. He says, 
And all the churches will know, this is Revelation 2.23, and all the churches will know that I am, I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Not only do we have to love God with our heart and our mind, but Jesus actually comes along and sifts through and looks through our hearts and our minds to see what's going on there. Does that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? Right now, while you're sitting in your place, Jesus is going through your mind like the drawers on a filing cabinet. He's going right through and seeing what's in there. Oh, my goodness. And he doesn't just do it here in church. He does it constantly. He searches our hearts and our minds because our hearts matter to him, but so also do our minds. Now, how can I help you understand the biblical concept or picture of the mind? If I could give you a little example, it would go like this. Have you ever been to a proper theatre, an old-fashioned sort of theatre, where they have real live actors and they have proper scenery and they have a thing like this, a stage? Have you ever been to see anything like Swan Lake or the Nutcracker Suite or seen to the ballet? I, I have been once or twice, so I want you to know I'm cultured occasionally. And um, what you notice about something like that is that between the scenes... They change the scenery. So the curtain goes down, and when it lifts up again, there's a different scene on stage. And if you notice in Swan Lake, there's a very dark scene in there where the lighting comes down all very somber and low, and then there's this dark scene where the swans dance at night, and I won't go into the rest of the story. It's not very edifying. But um, our minds are like a stage, and your will and your decision is like the stage manager. And you decide what scenery goes on your stage. So if you put out dark scenery or somber scenery or creepy scenery, guess what kind of actors come onto your stage? The dark and creepy ones. And guess what kind of part you get to play because you are the main player in this play. You find yourself on the stage dressed all in dark clothes like the rest of them, saying dark lines and playing a dark depressive, negative kind of part. On the other hand, if you decide, well, we don't want that kind of play here, let's lift all that scenery out, let's put some other scenery in that's bright and colourful and cheerful and the lights go up and you set a different scene on your stage, guess what kind of actors are going to come onto your stage? Actors that are dressed in bright, colourful, expressive, good news clothing and suddenly you'll find instead of the devil being out there, Jesus and his angels will be on stage with you. And you will be dressed differently, and you will have a different part to play. So your mind is like a stage, and you decide what the scenery is. And here's the problem. There's a lot of guys out there called the spiritual forces and powers, and they're trying to push a lot of dark scenery onto your stage. And they do it with things like this. Nobody really likes you. You're not the same as everybody else. You're different. You don't fit in here. You don't really belong. It's all right for them, but what about you? And with those kind of negative thoughts, they'll encourage you to set those scenes up. And next thing you know, you'll be acting in a very dark play. But if you want to do it differently, there's a different way of thinking, which is God loves me. I'm acceptable in the beloved. The Bible has some brilliant scenery in it. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. When you start getting that scenery out and putting it on stage, 
it sets a very different scene for your life and your thought processes and the day that you're going to live in. This is what scripture says. It says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. That's Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. It's talking about actually a, a guy that isn't good. But it, the principle applies that what we think we are, our thought life determines who we are. What kind of thinking goes on in our head determines what kind of lifestyle we will lead. So what we think is what we become. So it really matters that we love God with our minds, that we set the scene really well and we think thoughts that really are thoughts that are in tune with loving God. Now, does that mean we all have to go out and try and become a professor or something? I don't think so. Though, if you are skilled and gifted in that way, by all means, use it. But just remember, love God with it. Don't think off in some other direction that the Spirit's uh, not going. But use your thought processes, if God's particularly gifted you in that way, to honour God and glorify him and love him. So today we're going to study the scripture a little bit more and find out what the Bible says about our minds. And hopefully in that there will be some clues for all of us to really take control of our thought processes and love God with our minds and see the blessing and the fruit and the benefit and the joy and the release that comes when our minds are truly tuned into God's way of thinking and not some other way of thinking. So let's go through a few things about our mind. Yesterday I told you that you've got to have to work hard because it was a workshop, but I'm afraid the workshop's continuing today, so you're going to have a few points here and some scriptures to go with it. So gird up your minds, ready for action. Here we go with the first one. What does the scripture tell us about our minds before God? Well, first thing it tells us is this. Our minds naturally are in a fallen state. Here's what the Bible says about in Romans 1. I think it's coming up there. Is that right? Oh, here it is. Right, okay. He's sitting there. But the controls are over there. You did that without moving, Dave. That's very clever. It must be technology. This is what it says. For all, this is talking about all the human race. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. The normal state of the human race since what the Bible calls the fall is that our minds have fallen as well. There was a time in history when Britain was just a little outcrop on the edge of Europe. We weren't very important in Ireland. The Romans conquered us, built Hadrian's Wall, made the Scots the Scots and the Geordies the Geordies. Um, we happen to live on the north side of Hadrian's Wall, by the way, so if, if this goes to a second referendum in the Scottish thing, all that, we could end up with Newcastle sort of split in half, and depending on your point of view, I might be on the wrong side or the right side of the border. But anyway, um, during those days, uh, Christianity came to England, and well, a bit later than that, we came to England, and the real initiative theologically and, and spiritually was in other parts of Europe. And then... At around about the end of the 4th century, beginning of the 5th century, we had our first British theologian. Unfortunately, he was branded a heretic. But never mind, he was the first British one anyway. And his idea was, his name was Pelagius, and his idea was that when you fell in the garden, when mankind fell right back in the Garden of Eden, our bodies fell, but our minds didn't. And as long as we think good thoughts, we're all right. 
That's a bit of a poor estimation of what he said, but it's roughly that. Now, here's the problem. It's not just our bodies that fell in the Garden of Eden. Our minds fell as well. And ever since that day, our minds have a tendency to be dark and think in a foolish, futile way. Now, you can try this out for yourself if you want to. You've probably tried it already without realising it. Have you ever got into one of those things, where you, one of those problems where you've laid awake on your pillow at night and you've tried to reason something out and it just won't reason out? And you think of all these things, yes, I should do that, no, I shouldn't do that. Yes, it will go that way, no, it won't go that way. And you just stack up arguments either side and the pile gets bigger and bigger on each side and it, it still doesn't help you make a decision. And it goes round and round in your head at night or round and round in your head when you're on the bus and then you miss the stop because it's all going round inside of you. You're, you're sitting in your car, the traffic lights just turn green and you've not driven away. It's possible for things to get hold of our minds like that. And it's a little indication of the way we think without God. And you'll notice a couple of things there. Our thoughts are futile, they get nowhere, and they're darkened. And when they're darkened, you can't really see what's going on. And the curious thing is, it says in the next verse, although they claim to be wise, they became fools. People whose minds are fallen tend to insist they're right, even when they're not. It doesn't help us to have our minds in that state. The second thing is this, our minds are a battlefield. So another picture of our mind, I, I've put the picture before as a theatre and a stage where, where, if you like, a play takes place or something takes place with scenery and so on. But another common picture of our mind from the Bible's point of view is a battlefield. It's the place where God and the devil do battle and you're caught in between. Imagine what that's like. Imagine if the Americans and the Russians starting firing missiles at each other and they met halfway. It'd all sort of drop on England, wouldn't it? What a place to be. There is a battle going on. Let's look at what the scripture says for um, 2 Corinthians 10.3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. There is a conflict going on all the time between God and the enemy and they meet in your mind. It's a bit like when, well, it won't happen next year because we're not in the premiership anymore, but you know what it's like when Newcastle and Sunderland meet just down the road here. Our church building's sort of in the way, isn't it? And every time that match goes on, I think, I hope we've still got all our windows left. I hope nobody's left their car parked there on that day because you never know what the fallout will be. Well, it's a little bit like that in our minds, that these two kingdoms clash and come together, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Now, which side we lean determines who wins. Which side you put your energies behind and your decision-making behind, your choice behind, is the side that will win. Now, the secret to winning is in these verses. It says here that where Paul says that he has divine power to demolish strongholds and... We demolish arguments and every pretension. Now, the word there for argument is similar to the word logic. It means a well-reasoned human way of thinking. Do you know what? Well-reasoned human ways of thinking can really get us into trouble. We'll find out why in a moment. 
And there's another thing that we um, have to war against as well, and that's the phrase um, pretension. And what it really means when it was originally written there is a haughty or proud idea that men have raised up. And they've raised it up against the knowledge of God. So human logic and reasoning without God from a darkened mind and human ideas that people think are great ideas and better than God's idea, they're raised up. Those are the things we have to watch out for, Paul says. And the way to watch out for them influencing our lives is very simple. We have to take our thoughts obedient to Jesus. Because the kind of things and kind of ideas people come out with can on the face of it be very, very tempting. Here's one. Don't put any money in the church offering. Why bother doing that? It doesn't make sense. Your accountant wouldn't approve. We recently had a load of testimonies here about when we took the offering for our um, coffee bar work that we're going to do. Um, people felt what God should give them and they put that money in. And then within hours or days, people received back, one person received back 20 times what they put in the offering within a short space of time. Some people received back 10 times, some double, some three or four times, or various amounts. But a number of people came to me after that offering and said, this is what God has done for me in the few days I put that in. Now that does not make sense from a human logic point of view. And Paul says that's the kind of thinking at every level we have to be aware of, that it doesn't bring about God's purposes. And you heard another example here this morning when Antonia was talking about uh, Zoe being in a hospital. Well, it doesn't make sense to refuse the doctors to treat your child, especially when you're a doctor yourself. Well, maybe that does make sense. I'm not sure anyway. Um, uh, but anyway, two doctors ganging up on the doctor. I'm sure it wasn't like that. But seriously, if you're a doctor, you would know it makes sense to have the IV line put in and have more treatment. But there's a different kind of sense in life. It's not the logic of men. It's how God works. And that does not make immediate sense to the way the human mind, fallen and dark and futile, works. And Paul says that's how we have to, um, we have to operate. We have to do it God's way. We have to make our minds obedient to Jesus and not the way thinking operates in our world all the time. Now, my third point under this section The enemy seeks to control your mind. The devil wants to control our lives, and one of his principal ways to do it is to control our mind. So let's look at another scripture from 2 Corinthians here. This is chapter 3, verse 14. In fact, I've got two or three here. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Do you notice that? Their minds were made dull. So when you are sitting in your morning lecture, if you're a student or a, or a young person, and you really can't listen to your teacher or lecturer, you can blame the devil and say, he's made my mind dull this morning. I really can't concentrate on this session. The next one, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, the God of this age has, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of God who is in the image of God. Now, one of my favorite things I used to like to do was sit on the bus and when we went past the church look at the notice board and see the message outside there were some real good ones you know seven days without prayer makes one week 
If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Um, there was one, it was very clever. There was an advert at the time, years and years and years ago, about Guinness. Guinness is good for you. And I went past this church and it said, Genesis is good for you. I thought it was quite clever, actually. Um, but then I realized something. I was reading a book and it said, we put signs up outside our churches for blind people to read. Because the scripture says, the enemy has blinded the minds of people that don't believe. Now, they think they're fine. But actually, something's gone on here to blind their minds. So they can read a thing like that, and it just doesn't connect with their hearts at all. That's the work of the enemy. And he does it by getting into our minds. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 11:13. 13. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So even if you're a believer, the enemy can come along and deceive you in the level of your mind and lead you astray and take you away from your pure devotion to Christ. And to my sadness, I have seen that happen. I've seen it happen, and you probably have as well. There is an enemy out to get a hold of our minds. And this enemy will want to tell you what scenery to erect on your stage so that the play you commission, the play you put on, the play you produce is the play he wants, not the play that God wants. And he will seek to get you with all his deceit, darkness and negativity and he'll bring a lot of discouragement and a lot of other things into our lives to do that. Now, the fourth and final thing under this section is this. The thoughts of our minds attract spiritual powers. And this is probably going to be the hardest one for us to get our minds around. So let me encourage you. Open your mind to the scriptures and understand what it's saying here. Then we'll, we'll demonstrate it for you to show you how it works. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Do you see what's operating here? Something is going to take you captive. And it's going to do it through a pattern of thinking, which the Bible calls here hollow and deceptive, deceptive philosophy. And that philosophy itself has connections in two ways. Human tradition, that's the human part, and elemental spiritual forces of this world. So can you see these two things that go together with this philosophy, this idea, this thinking that's trying to capture your minds? Something from people and something spiritual. And those two things to combine to get a hold of our minds and lead us astray. Let's look at it in a little bit later in the same chapter, Colossians 2.20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world... Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have uh, to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use are based merely on merely human commands and teachings. So you've got human commands and teachings leading to rules and religion, and you've also got these spiritual forces at work. And Paul's saying, you died to those spiritual forces. You don't have to connect with them. But if you give in to the thinking patterns and the religious ideas of men that are not from God, you will be connected to not just those religious ideas, but the spiritual forces behind them as well. 
Let's go a little bit further and see uh, how this is expressed elsewhere by the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy 4, he says this, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Hold on a moment. Demons don't do teaching, do they? Apparently they do. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and want to know the truth. So what we've got here is this. We've got some teaching that comes through people, but it's also taught by something demonic. There is a spiritual force attached to this wrong teaching and this wrong idea. And the end of it is to confuse you and tie you up in knots and not let you live in the freedom and liberty that God wants you to live in. So can you see again this idea of spiritual force going along with an idea? Now, let me see if I can help us understand now how this works. And I need a volunteer or so to to do this. So Doug will do it. Okay, Doug. Well, Doug, there's no typecasting here, but you'll find out why this isn't the part to advertise for if you want to be young, handsome, and good-looking. Doug, please come here and lie on the front of the stage. Just, just lie down, face up. That's it. Now, I need a second person to help me here. What, do you think you've got it easy now, do you? Okay, right. Now, here's what the Bible's really saying. Ideas that form in our heads, ideas that form in the heads of others, are not just plain old innocent ideas. There are spiritual powers attached to those ideas because you're made in the image of God. When God had an idea to create the world, he went through with it. His, his idea became you and me. Now, in the same way, the enemy can latch onto the wrong kind of idea and create something out of that. And it has a spiritual power attached to it. What we've read is, is the demonic or the elemental spirits of this world. So when somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I've got an idea, just hold on a moment. In the early days of this house church movement, which we kind of all sprung out of, I can remember how keen and sharp our leaders were about this. And I remember somebody going in the very early days to one of the pastors there and saying, so-and-so, I've got a really good idea. He said, I don't want to hear your idea. What? But I've got an idea. I want to hear God's idea. Has this come from God or is this just your idea? Because if it's just your idea, that's not enough. Now, earlier, Ben read out the scripture, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. So you can't plant an orange tree in your garden and get apples. You can't plant a pear tree in your garden and get oranges. Whatever the seed is like, the plant is like. Okay? So the same is true for our thoughts and our imaginings. If the origin of those thoughts and imaginings is the Holy Spirit, then it's going to give birth to the Spirit. If the origin of our thinking and our thought process and our ideas is not the Holy Spirit, what's it going to give rise to? Well, something that's not the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be at least flesh, and attached to that flesh 
is a big bad old demon, which is not you in this story, okay? But you are the bad guy. <laughs> which will come to you in a moment. But actually, you're going to be a very educated bad guy, so I'm going to call you doctor, all right? You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a, 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 good, a, good, a good intelligent bad guy as opposed to a good not-so-intelligent bad guy. So we're going to elevate you to a doctor here. Now, our world is full of ideas. And our job as those who love God, who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who follow after him as disciples and walk in his ways, our job is to discern and distinguish where the idea is coming from. Because plenty of ideas come our way, and they look okay, and they look good, but they're not born of the Spirit. The story is told, I think it was by Derek Prince, that when the Pilgrim Fathers left Europe to go to the then New World, which was the American continent, to escape the persecution. Do you know why they were being persecuted, by the way? Because they didn't want to pray from a book. The only reason they were persecuted was because they didn't want to open a book and say, our Father which art in heaven, which is not a bad thing to do. They wanted to be able to close the book and say, God, I love you. You're wonderful. You're great. They wanted to pray just like we have done this morning, and they had to travel across the known worlds to be allowed to do that in a so-called Christian continent. Amazing, isn't it? Now, when they got there, they immediately met up with the native Indian people that were already there, or the First Nation people that were there. And the later conflict that came along wasn't there in those early days in quite that way. Um, And when they arrived, they found out there'd been a drought. And the drought was been very severe and the crops weren't growing. And so they said, well, we need to settle here and plant. We need to grow as well. The soil's dry. We need rain and you need rain. So they prayed on behalf of them both. And normally what happens, if the rain is late in the season, it comes in floods and torrents and it destroys the crops and anything you've planted. But it didn't. That year, it came with a gentle rain that watered the ground, completely out of character. And they felt God was with them. They felt God was helping them establish a community where they could be free to worship God according to their conscience and according to their faith. Now, I'm not commenting on all that's went on after that or or since then, but they felt that was something born of the Spirit. They felt God was with them in that move. And we're looking for the ideas that God gives because out of that we can be sure the Spirit's result will happen. So you see in the book of Acts, guys like Paul and Silas and Timothy when they, and Barnabas, when they go out on mission, it says, separate Saul and Barnabas for the work for which I've prepared them. You see the results of that. It was incredibly successful. You're sitting here as a result of that seed. You're sitting here as a result of that voice in the Spirit. So what the Spirit gives rise to, you know will be successful in God. It may have opposition, it may have difficulty, it may have all kinds of challenges on the way, but you can be sure what comes out of the seed of the Spirit is the Spirit of God. But what happens if it's not? I would like to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Dr. And he's got a great idea. His great idea is life does not come from God. Life comes from what's around us, the elements. So he decides he's going to create life. And what he does is he goes to the graveyard. And his name is Frank, by the way. <laughs> and his 
Last name is Stein, and his middle name is Nicholas, but we just say N. So Frank N. Stein. So this is Dr. Frankenstein. He sews together all these body parts here to make himself a good idea. He's got this stitched up. And, oh. So when he's finished, there's still no life, so he gives it a jolt of electricity. <laughs> it's very modern, isn't it? Now that's, and suddenly this thing starts to be alive. Hey, I've done it. I've had a great idea. Life doesn't come from God. I've made life myself. Isn't that great? Well, then he goes and he sits down and has his tea. But the problem is, this thing he's created, which is not a good idea, it's a bad idea, this thing is kind of looking for its maker and is pretty unhappy with the, with the... He looks in the mirror, he thinks, I don't like the face he's given me here. It's a bit scarred down here. It's a bolt through my neck and all the rest of it. He's thinking, I'm going to go find this guy and let him know I'm pretty unhappy with him. And so, so just lie back down again and see if you can react this out for it. So what happens is when you have a good idea... It comes to life, and there's some life in it. But then this thing has a habit of just sliding off the table. Come on, do some sliding off the table here. And it slides off the table, and then it gets up, and it starts to come after you. Now, you know, this isn't a very pretty thing that's coming after you, so you've got to do a runner now, Paul. Now, hang on, hang on, hang on, Doug, 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 Doug. Now, remember, in the movies... The monster only walks at one mile an hour, and the guy runs at 20 miles an hour, but the monster always catches him. Have you noticed that? I don't know why it's like that, but he does. It's part of the law of movies. The other one is always look for somebody intruding in your house in the middle of the night in the most unsuitable clothing. So, so you see, he thought his good idea was to create something that would help or serve or prove him right. But this thing has got a life of its own now, and it's coming after him. And that's the problem with human good ideas. They might look good on the table, and as long as they'll stay on the table, you might think, well, that's quite nice. But I tell you over and over again, these things have a habit of sliding off the table and coming after you, and eventually doing something <laughs> terrible to you. Know, we don't, I don't know. Okay, guys, thank you. Sit down. All right. Now, the reason they do that is because there is spiritual power behind them. Now, I'll give you some examples, and I'm happy to name names here today, and you can criticize me if you want to um, afterwards. But, uh, you know, human institutions that have been started as a good idea have ended up sliding off the table and coming after us. I won't name too many, but parts of the institutional church have had a, a difficult time recently. Parts of what they created from their good idea is now stalking around, coming after them to haunt them. And it's not doing them any good in the newspapers. Do you know, I was talking here that the Labour, uh, yesterday the Labour Party started out from Christians who wanted social justice. But that thing they created from a good idea, with a good heart, it slid off the table, and now it's walking around. It's not looking too attractive today, is it? It's in trouble. And actually, it, it's not so sympathetic towards Christians anymore as the way it used to be. And there are other things, like I'm not picking on those two, they just happen to be two I know. There are others other human institutions. And whether it's a big institution or some little idea I have in my head, 
oh, I think I'm going to go there and do that and do this because it's a good idea. Or I think I'm going to believe this idea because it appeals to me. If that idea hasn't come from God, you can be sure if you follow it, one day you are going to find it's coming after you. And I've seen that happen over and over again. And at the time, people argue with you because, like I say, when we're in darkness, we think we're right. But it has a nasty habit of coming after us at a later date. It's not a good idea to follow human ideas because the enemy is seeking to get control of our minds, sow in his ideas, and then come after us. Now, let me give you one other way the enemy seeks to control our minds. So let's get some other volunteers here today. John, yeah, you'll do. Come, come here. Here's John. He's, he's brave to volunteer. Now, thank you. The Bible says that we are made up of three areas, but they all combine together to make the one fantastic, unique, brilliant you. You have a body that you can see. You have a soul, which includes your mind, which is what we're talking about today. And you have a spirit, what we call the fella in the cellar. And your mind is the fanatic in the attic. And if you forget everything else I say today, the basic message is listen to the fella in the cellar, not the fanatic in the attic. All right? Now, here, right at the center of your being, you, you can't see this, but if I were to lift John's shirt up here, you, you would see hard slabs of tight muscle and six-pack here. You probably would with John, but with me, you're definitely not, okay? So, and also, you would see here a slot just wide enough to get a CD in. Now, you probably didn't realize that was there, did you? But it's there. You've all got one. You can look when you go home. Please don't do it now. And there is a slot round about here, and you put the CD in here. And then this CD goes in here like this, and it disappears into the machine. And then it goes round and it plays. Now, what it plays is depending on what you've got on your CD. So here's the kind of CDs that some people are given in life. You're rubbish. You'll never make anything of yourself. So you put the CD in there, and it goes round and round at the level of his spirit. And then he becomes a Christian. He goes to church. Just hold that there to make the point. Sorry about your slot. I won't uncover it. And, and then he comes to church and says, hey, God loves you. You're a great guy. You're going to do really well in life. God has a future and a purpose for you. But the CD that's playing is, you're rubbish. You're never going to make anything in your life. So every time the preacher is preaching and the cell is going, he's reading the Bible, oh, God loves you. He wants to build you up. He wants you to prosper. What's the message that's playing in his spirit? See, the enemy has got in through his mind and then got that CD to play deep down here in his spirit because your mind is one of the gateways into your spirit as well as the Holy Spirit coming from outside into your spirit. So now he's in a conflict. I feel all unhappy because church is telling me I should be prosperous and successful in God. And that doesn't, you know, we've talked about that recently. We're not talking about something foolish and materialistic here. We're talking about thriving and flourishing in God in life. And yet, he doesn't see that in his life. And he wonders why it still doesn't work. Because down here, from his mind, is this message playing. And he remembers it like a CD. 
So what we've got to do to get him free, the enemy wants to keep that in here, by the way. The enemy wants to keep him bound, wants to keep him um, shackled by that thought. And so what we have to do is come on here, press the eject button, hoi that one away. Throw if you're not from Newcastle. And then we have to get him a new one, which says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, have you ever put two CDs in the slot at the same time? I did once in a car. They were going to have to dismantle all the front of the car to get the thing out. Could Very expensive. And, of course, neither of them. You know, it, it, you've got to get the old CD out before you put the new one in. But when the new CD goes in, something changes in you, which is what we're going to look at for the second part of this. Thank you, John. Okay, so... What do the scriptures tell us about how to get the victory? Well, the first thing the scriptures tell us is this. In order to change spiritually and properly, our minds must be involved. You cannot change without your mind changing. So let's look at some scriptures that tell us this. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, you know, because we preach on this lots of times if you've been here regularly, repent means metanoia, change your mind. Change your thinking. One of the French versions, which I quoted here a couple of years ago, I really love, changer d'attitude. I think you can guess what that means without even speaking French. You know. Change your attitude. The sort of thing your mother said to you when you were a teenager. And it didn't work. Or maybe it did. I hope it did. Change the way your mind operates. Jesus is calling us into his kingdom. He says, I want you to be part of me. I want you to have eternal life. I want you to have your, your whole being full of light. I want you to have your mind switched on again so that the Spirit can control your mind as well as the rest of you and bring you that lightness and that openness and that insight and that prosperity in life. But in order for you to do that, you've got to change your mind. Funny thing is, people don't like to change their minds very much. Have a look at the person next to you and say, do you like to change your mind? Now, if you're married to the person next to you, do not answer that question, all right? Because you could just prove my whole sermon wrong and my whole theory wrong. So please don't do that. Um, we need to change our minds so much. One Bible commentator describes it as having a trap door on the top of our heads where you open the top of your head You take your brain out, you turn it around 180 degrees and put it back in the other way. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He said, when I came to know Jesus, whatever I thought was important, I now count that as garbage. Actually, sewerage is the word he uses. That's all it's fit for. That's how unhelpful my old patterns of thinking were. I have to to dump all of that and leave it stay dumped. Now I've got to take on a whole new set of values and attitudes in my head. And the things that I thought were not worthwhile before, like these new Christians, 
that's suddenly become the most valuable thing to me above all else. Here's another scripture from uh, Romans 12, 2. You'll know this well again if you read your Bible ever. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, you'll have heard, no doubt, sermons on this before about don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The Greek word there means something like don't let yourself be shaped into the form or appearance of this age or time. Which is particularly pertinent as we were talking about this to do with the thinking that's going on. There is a a way of thinking that goes with this generation, this epoch, this era, this age, this time. And the Apostle Paul tells us, and the Scriptures tell us, don't let yourself be shaped so that you look like that thinking and that inwardly you're like that thinking. Don't look like it on the outside. Don't be like it on the inside. You can't afford to let that happen to you. Instead, you have to be totally transformed. Metamorphosis is the word, just like a a chrysalis to a butterfly or like a tadpole to a frog. You've got to be totally different to that and to what you could have been. And that all happens through your mind being totally changed, reprogrammed, swapped around, turned, re-evaluated, Wiped clean and the software reinstalling again properly this time. Whatever picture you want to use for that, it's that amazing a change, but our minds are right at the center of it. Because if we try and change without our minds changing, all those CDs are going to still be playing and they're going to pull us back to where we were. And it's a curious thing, I find. People like to have their own private thought world. Is my mind fit for anybody else to come and join me in or should it be locked off because it's not fit for public consumption is my mind my private life my private world or can God do a miracle in my mind so that it's public with him because he searches our minds and anybody else could step in there as well there's a, a woman called Jean Darnell she wrote a book many many years ago called Heaven Here I Come She's, I don't know if she's still with us now, whether she's gone to be with the Lord, but uh, when about 10 years ago, she came to this church building, a remarkable woman, actually. I mean, I was impressed with her book. I was even more impressed with her when I met her. Just amazing. I, I mean, she was just leading all kinds of national initiatives when I was, first became a Christian about, well, I wouldn't say when, but a few years ago. And she said uh, her mother died, and she prayed for her mother to come back. She was desperate that her mother would come back. She didn't want to lose her, and she prayed by her bedside, and her mother came alive again. And her mother said, why did you do that? Why didn't you let me go? I want to be with Christ. I've I've reached my time. I feel this is for me. But she talked to her mother, and her mother told her what it was like, that experience she'd had. This is one of the things she said. She said, in heaven, our thoughts are like loud shouts. The quietest thought we have in our mind It's like a loud shout broadcast over the loudspeakers of heaven. I was so embarrassed when I read that. But it's a good thing to remember, isn't it? Every little negative critical thought is broadcast on the loudspeaker system in heaven. 
I hope when we get there, people won't be looking and saying, oh, you're the one that had that thought, are you? All right, okay. <laughs> How do we get a new mind? Well, here's some scriptures to help us. Jeremiah 33.3. That um, can't be the right reference. Sorry, I think that's wrong. Um, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. I think it's 33.1. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, uh, on their heart, I will write, and on their heart, I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then the same thing is repeated in Hebrews 8. And notice again, because we're now in a Greek translation, Greek speaking world, how mind is put in there to help us understand. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So how do we change our minds? We need God's laws. Now, by laws, I don't mean legalistic hard things. I mean his ways, his heart, his principles, his goodness, his desire for us to do well in him. We need that writing in our minds. And the question I have to ask is, what's normally writing in my mind? What program is normally at work writing something into my mind? Because it needs to be God's ways and God's word. And that will happen to us when our lives are filled with the word of God and filled with the ideas of the spirit and not filled with the ideas of human origin that will only result in a Frankenstein's monster trying to come and get us. Second thing under this heading is this. In order to change spiritually and properly, our minds have to be set by us on the right thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says this. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. We choose daily and moment by moment where we set our minds. Where's my mind set today? Where's your mind set right now? Are you skiing somewhere on holiday? You're on a beach somewhere, a little drink with an umbrella in it. What have you got your mind set on today? Going out and having a picnic this afternoon? Our minds need to be set on Christ. And when they do, when they are, it's our choice to do that. But it brings life and peace. It brings an awareness of God. It brings a sense of the closeness of God. It brings a wholly different way of living. Is my mind set on meeting people and sharing Christ with them? Or is it set on thinking about my problems? What is my mind set on? You choose what the set is, what your scenery is. But we're back to that again. What I set up as the scenery what I choose to have my focus, that's what my mind is set on. And that's in my control. That's my choice. The third thing is this. God wants our mind to mirror Christ's mind. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, says 1 Corinthians 2.16. Now, this is spoken in the context of receiving revelation from the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul can say this, because of the Spirit, because of the presence of God in his life, through all that God has taught him by revelation and through the Scriptures, he is so in tune with the will of God 
that he has the same mindset and the same mind and the same aims as the same vision as the Lord Jesus. His thoughts are fit for public consumption. He's swapped all his CDs. The only CDs that are playing now are Jesus CDs, the will of God, the will of the Father, God's word, and so on. Paul is thinking salvation, redemption, holiness, witness, the glory of God for all peoples, patient endurance till Jesus returns. Those are the kind of things on his CD. And he's truly loving God with his whole self, including with his mind. And I believe that should be our goal too. Our minds are not just taking up good ideas around us. Just because this person or that person says it, just because this famous person says it or that famous person says it, even if they have titles and letters after their name, even if they have public appraisal and public recognition, that does not necessarily mean that's the mind of Christ. And we should be very clear and very discerning about what we allow our minds to dwell on and be shaped by. Because if it's not the will of God and the Spirit of God, do you know what we're creating? We're creating one of those monsters. And you know what happens with one of those monsters? It will slide off the table and come find us. I don't want no monsters coming looking for me. And the secret to that is to have the mindset of Jesus, to take every thought captive to the knowledge of Christ, to fix our minds, to set our minds on him and be clear that the influences in our lives come from the spirit, come from the word of God and come from God and that we examine things to make sure they do. And if they're not, no matter how attractive they may seem, no matter how appealing on the surface, that's not what we're signing up for so that our lives are clear and that we live in that spirit of peace and excellence and success that God wants us to have in tune with his will and his ways. Why don't we stand for a moment and pray? Now, I want to begin just to pray for you, but before I do, I want to say, if your thoughts trouble you, God loves you. If you are weighed down by anxieties and thoughts that go round and round in your head and pull you down, that's not how God wants you to live. That's not abundant life. That's not eternal life. That is an attack of the enemy on you. God does not want you to live like that. And we want to reach out to you with the love of God and say, God can help you in the realm of your mind to be free of those thoughts. The Bible says this, that when my anxious thoughts multiplied within me, your comforts were a delight to my heart. God can pour oil on troubled water. He can cause those multiplying anxious thoughts that concern us to be put to rest and not concern us anymore. So I don't know whether your thought life is troubling you in, in the terms of anxiety. But I want to pray for you right now. And also, if you feel your thought life is gripped by things that really just drag you down, 
I want to pray for you that God will give you a revelation of what's on that CD. But you're going to have to do a little bit of work then because you have to press the eject button and get it out and find a new CD from the Bible which tells you the opposite. We can help you with that process and do talk to your cell leader or one of us. We will sit with you and work with you to help you change the CD or the CDs that are playing. So let's just close our eyes and pray. And I want to pray especially for you. If you want to acknowledge before God right now while our eyes are closed, yes, I've got CDs playing in my life that just pull me down and make me feel awful. I'll pray for you in a moment. And secondly, if you want to acknowledge that, um, that I've got anxiety, you've got anxieties, thoughts keep going around your head that weigh you down and you just don't get anywhere with it. It just makes you feel awful. I want to pray for you too. Because God doesn't want you to live like that. God wants you to be free in your mind, to love him with all your might. So if, if you come into either of those two categories, I'd like to pray for you. And just while our eyes are closed, you can just put your hand up before the Lord. So I know I'm praying for. I want to pray for you. Bless you. Just keep your hands up now. Father, I thank you for every person with their hand raised now. You see them and you love them. Father, I speak now over their lives that the peace of God is on their minds. That the release of God is on their minds. Lord, you say in the Bible that through the blood of Jesus we have redemption, which is freedom from slavery, and through the blood of Jesus we have peace. And I speak that peace now on everyone whose mind is troubled, on everyone whose mind is anxious, on everyone who's struggling with thoughts that pull them down. Lord, I speak that peace on everyone who is, and speak that redemption release on everyone who needs to change the CD, who's got the wrong message playing in there. Lord, I thank you that Jesus' blood that he shed at the cross, that he shed when the crown of thorns was put on him, that blood is the breaking of all curses. And Lord, those negative messages on those CDs in our spirits, Lord, those are curses on our lives. They pull us down and drag us down and they're lies and they're wrong. Lord, I speak now to every one of those messages, every one of those curses, that the blessing of God destroys those curses, that the blood of Jesus is on those CDs now to eject them and to substitute them for a better CD, for a better message. Father, I pray now for the breaking of spiritual strongholds attached to the way we think. Father, I apply the blood of Jesus to our minds now, that our minds would be redeemed, that our minds would be transformed, that our minds would be renewed, that we would not take on the ideas of the age around us just because those ideas are out there, but that we test everything in accordance with the Word of God and the will of God and the Spirit of God so that our minds can be the mind of Christ. Lord, thank you that Jesus shed blood from his head and that is the promise that our minds likewise can be the mind of Christ. Father, I pray now you will touch our minds and our thinking. You will free us from the grips and the holds that those thoughts and any associated spiritual activity has with them. And you will release us now in mind. Father, I pray for a releasing now of minds that are trapped 
in these thought forms, in these ways, in Jesus' name, that our minds could be free so that we could love you with every part of us, including our mind. Lord, I pray that we will use our minds constructively, that we will set good scenery in our minds, that we will set positive thoughts, faith-filled thoughts, good-natured thoughts, good towards others, good towards God, good in terms of the Scripture and faith. Lord, that our minds will be filled with the goodness of God. And Lord, now I rebuke the negative lies of the enemy over our lives, which whispers so constantly into our minds that we're not good enough, or we're not loved, or we're not this, or we're not that. Father, Lord, I speak to those lies, and I break the hold of that curse now through the blood that Jesus shed, that our minds could be sanctified by the blood of Jesus and released from all that torment and torture in our thoughts. Father, I pray today that you will uh, bring about a great releasing of minds now. And Father, I pray where any of us are locked onto patterns of thinking that are not your ways. Lord, whether it's the hollow philosophies of this age, whether it's the things people said over us, whether it's our own home-brewed ideas, Lord, whatever's not born of the Spirit needs to go. And I pray you will wash our minds now by the blood of Jesus and by the power of your Spirit and your Word that the, that the thinking, that the thought patterns of our lives would be according to your Word and your Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And I believe we just wait a moment before we finish and just see if God wants to do anything else to really set us free today. We had this sense of the Spirit moving on us in the worship. And I believe the Holy Spirit just wants to, to wash some minds today and wash some spirits and wash some of those CDs out. You're loved. You're acceptable and accepted. You're okay in God's eyes. God cares about you and loves you. Thank you. You know, I just want to share a testimony with you guys, really, because um, statistics, we were talking about this at the dinner table the other day, you know, one in six adults struggled with mental health 10 years ago. Now it's one in four adults um, struggle with mental health issues. In our society, this is the UK, you know. So really, at least a quarter of us should have had our hands up there for help. And, you know, I'm going to put my hands up. I'm someone that really struggled with mental health issues a while ago, actually. Um, and I, um, I really struggled with body dysmorphia, which ended up in bulimic behaviours, um, and I had to get CBT help for it. I had to get so much support for my family. But you know what? This word here is so much more powerful than any of the therapies that I went through. Um, any of the um, anything that the world could offer this what we've heard today is what really changes our thinking you know and um, when when all this came to light my family were amazing my parents spent so much time with me and my dad put together kind of hey here's some ways that you can change that tape and you know I didn't want to be bulimic I didn't want to suffer with that but you know the pressure from society on our minds and on our attitudes whether you realize it or not it's there and it it influences us and if we're not born again if our minds aren't born again if we're not actively pursuing the renewing of our minds we'll fall foul to it so this word really it is for every single one of us here today to some degree or another you know I can't encourage you enough to to not let this moment pass because that that experience of really taking my mind to Christ and letting him change it is what has released my family situation my, my thinking, my relationship with God, everything changed when God changed my mind. And I had years, years of wrong thinking and not letting God like minister to those, that wrong thinking in my life to really, really work through. And, you know, my dad encouraged me and he gave me some really practical advice. And there's a lot of 
replacing the lies of the enemy with truth from the word. You know, better remember our house was covered in post-it notes with scripture on it and, and pretty posters from Pinterest with nice Bible verses on it. And, and um, I had to like fast and, and turn my mind away from all the things in the world that would keep that tape, that CD playing in my life. And it took a lot of effort, but I tell you, it's worth it. And this is the word that would change. Look, honestly, if you leave church today and don't come back for another year and let this word work in your life, you'll have the most fruitful year you've ever had. I can't commend this word strong enough to you. This Please is the come word. Back anyway. Come back. But this is the word that could change your life because so much of who we are and what we're about and our destiny in God is about what happens between, what, how many inches is it? Centimeters? I don't know. This space here, this is, this is the rest of your life. This is your family. This is your children's futures. This is your, your self-image. This is your ability to win as a cell leader. This is everything is, is wrapped up in this word this morning. So, you know, I don't think that response was, was indicative of what's really happening in people's minds right now. I think that was a muted response to a powerful word, if I'm honest with you. And I can't, I can't stand there, stay quiet when this word has changed my life. Val, why don't you come here a minute? Come up on the stage, Val. Thank you, I stay there. Val was telling me this morning she was woken in the night. Do you want to just tell us simply what happened to you? Yeah. Um, about half past three this morning, I got this word, respond to God. And it just kept going over and over and over in my mind. And this morning, it's, um, I give it to Pastor Clive to see if he could tell me what it meant, because I didn't understand. But everything that's gone on in church this morning is, is Andy said, he's, re, he's used the word respond and in the worship, and it's been absolutely lovely. And I just can't thank you enough for it. Thank you, and I thank the Lord. There's God's word. Respond to God. Okay, so we're just going to pause a little bit longer. This is, I know you want to get off, get your dinners and all that. Put that out of your mind. Set your mind on this um, for a couple more minutes because this is life-changing, Karis has said. This is a life-changing moment. This is a chance for you to swap CDs and swap destinies. Now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never asked him into your life, you can do that as well in this moment. You just have to ask him, Jesus, forgive my sin through your death and be the boss of my life now. You can give your life to Christ like that. And if you want to swap that CD, you can do it now while the Spirit of the Lord is here. We sang it earlier. The miracle can happen now. A changed mind is a changed life. A changed mind is a changed destiny. A changed pattern of thinking is a new you. And it's here for anyone that wants it right now. Stu? Yeah, just when uh, we were responding there, I just had a real picture of um, a battlefield. Um, And instead of having arms on the battlefield, there was every single person was a flag bearer. Um, And I don't know if you know anything about the flag bearer. He he bears something really important. He he brings about the identity of what that army is about. 
and I, I got the sense of um, every single person on that battlefield had the words conqueror, overcomer, and just real things that are really from God. And I just got the real sense of um, that's who we should be as a, um, as a people. We should be people that are, are flag-bearing what God says over our lives, not what's going on in our hearts and in our minds all the time, but focusing truly on the Word of God. And I was like, God, how do we how do, you do that? And he said, you know, before a battle commences there's a great commander and you know we have a great commander you know in, in any battle that's ever taken place a commander usually rallies up an army and that's exactly what christ does and he, it's just in his word you know you just got to focus on the things that he says renewing your mind that's so important and 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 similarly you know some of the things that clive shared all them verses that we've seen today focus on them things put them things on them flags and really focus on them things and that's how we should be going into battle If you pray just a little bit more before you go, before you go. Just while the music playing, just going to give you a few moments to do some business in your heart with God, one-on-one with God. Offer Him those CDs, those tapes that play. Invite Him in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. I want to invite you, if you want to make Jesus Lord of your thinking, Lord of your heart and mind in a whole new way, just really submit that to him, either for the first time or again, because it's drifted or it's gone awry somewhere. Just raise your hand now and we're going to pray together. It's between you and the Lord. Jesus, we thank you. You came to the earth lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and was raised again so that we might live and have eternal life. Jesus, thank you that when your side was pierced and blood and water came out, that that is like a picture to us, that your character and nature, which comes from your heart, can be our character and nature as well. Lord, I speak that blood of Jesus over our lives today that the character and nature of Jesus, that the mind of Christ would be freshly renewed and reborn in us. Lord, I pray for the power, the help from above now on every person with their hand up to take every thought captive to the knowledge of Christ, to the obedience of Christ. Lord, I pray we will realize we do have the victory in our minds, that our minds don't rule us, but you rule our minds and if we ally ourselves with you that together we will say what scenery goes on that stage we will say who the players are we will say who wins the battle we will say what thoughts go on in our mind and we will reject all other thoughts that are not of God that are negative and are unwholesome and that drag us down Lord today we speak the mind of Christ 
over our worries and fears, over our negatives, over our despairs. We speak the mind of Christ over our destiny and over our positive thing. Lord, where, where are we going to go? We speak the mind of Christ into our minds that we choose now to have godly mindsets and godly thoughts so that like the Apostle Paul, we can say we have the mind of Christ. Father, I thank you that's what you want to give us today. And I pray you'll minister to that now by the Spirit to each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I think I'm just going to pray for a few more. If anybody wants individual prayer, please, you're welcome to come to the front. We'll draw the meeting in here at this point, and I'll get Andrew to release us. But I'm going to be down here at the front if anybody wants to be prayed for. Maybe one or two of my team can help.